Um, here with Everald Compton before he jets off to Linville for the Linville Art Festival. Um, and we are mad this morning. We are pretty outraged by some developments in past days. Um, would that be correct, Ev? You think that's a well? A well, well, it is, James. And, and I thank you for mentioning Linville. That's the town where I was uh, arrived when I was two two weeks old, ninety two years ago, where I went to school and. Went, have an arts festival every year, tiny little village, only 150 people. But I turn up every year, just a bit of nostalgia to talk about books. So that'll make it a pleasant, about an hour and a half drive from here, but and that'll be good. But let's get stuck into the issue of the legislation that's been passed around detainees, which is as rotten a thing as I've seen, and which I intend to get involved in making sure that there's enough money to get a case before the High Court at the earliest time and then pressure the High Court to move off their backsides and hear the case. But can I just say something to say? And I'm appointing you my legal advisor in this, James. My understanding of, of life is that if, if I commit a crime, the police arrest me, uh, they take me to court, and if I'm guilty, uh, the judge will put me in jail for a certain number of years, depending on the time. But when I come out, I'm a free citizen at the moment I've walked out, and I'm presumed to be a good citizen again until proved otherwise. I'm allowed out into the community to start my life again uh, with honour. Now, here we've got a situation where people have been in detention for years and years and years because they, they're supposed to be undesirable refugees. Now, had they been Australians, and charged with their crimes, so-called crimes, way back when they got here, they would have served the sentences given by the Australian court long ago and be out there in the community. So these guys have served their time several times over. They're entitled now having to a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And, okay, the police can keep a better item, but this whole thing defies in my view, natural justice, and I'm as angry as all hell. Now, you tell me how angry you are, James. Well, you know, I am not a judge, nor am I a scholar, um, so I'm hardly what you could call an expert in the field. But to my understanding and to my experience in the field, your assessment is 110% correct. Uh, and I'm thankful that I can say that because with the way this has been reported in the media, a lot of people have a very incorrect assessment of what's going on. If people believe what's being reported in the media, um, Albo has been letting out, you know, rapists, pedophiles, murderers into our streets, into our schools, into our community halls, free without punishment, free as a bird. Like you say, that happens every day. Once people who've done those horrible offences have served their sentences, they are allowed back out into the community. The only difference with these people is that they are non-citizens, but of course, they are non-citizens who, for one reason or another, probably because they'll be killed if we deport them back to their home countries, we can't deport. Um, it's you, you, you're you're 110 percent bang on, 110 percent bang well, on. Now, where, where, where do we go? I mean, the, the fact that it was rushed through the parliament, forgetting about how wrong it is, it was also rotten politics. The Labor party, the government, believed that Morrison had wedged them on the issue, that he'd ripped the guts out of them, which is his uh, forte, ripping the guts out of people. And, and and they panicked and said, oh, there's an election coming up in a year, we've got to get this off the agenda. So they didn't act out of any sense of doing the right thing or of doing the legal thing. 
they're acting to save their hide in an election. Now, this is the second time that they've done a major thing. The other one was in the election when to save themselves being wedged by Morrison over defence, they agreed to sign up to Walker simply to get themselves elected. And so we've now got this dreadful $350 billion simply because of a political wedge at, at the election, and that's rotten too. And now, Mike, can I say that Albo's done a lot of good things since he's been in. I'm just ang- angry about two things. You know, but the issue is this is pure political wedging, this whole thing, is it? Yeah, no, this is an absolute disgrace to me. This is an absolute disgrace. Uh, so let, let's sort of cycle it back a bit. We talked about the High Court decision last week. The substance of the High Court decision was that these people were indefinitely jailed, probably for the rest of their lives, at the behest of the minister. And the High Court said, without publishing their reasons, but we know that what they're going to say is only a court can do that. The minister can't do that unilaterally. Therefore, they have to be freed because their detention is not just illegal, but unconstitutional. This is a constitutional matter. So what's happened now is we've got a lot of tears of blame. Since this decision, Peter Dutton has been bleeding and moaning about how, yeah, Labor, who is weak on national security, has allowed pedos and murderers loose in the community. Not just pedos and murderers, but foreign pedos and murderers. So much, much scarier. Ooh. The second tier of blame goes on the media for uncritically parroting Peter Dutton's remarks and not challenging him on this, not saying no. This is a constitutional decision by the High Court that these people must be freed because their detention was unconstitutional. They've been focusing not on that angle, but on Dutton's angle. Then the third tier of blame, of course, has to fall squarely on the government because instead of standing up to Dutton, instead of standing up to the media, and instead of saying, no, this is a High Court decision that says we have to free these people, we're putting them under scrutiny, we're monitoring their movements, but we're not going to fall for your little trap Instead, they've rushed through legislation in 12 hours, 12 hours to address a high court decision that the reasons haven't even come out for yet. So we don't know. We know what the high court's decision is, that these people had to be let out. But their published reasons for it, which we'll discuss specifically how, why and where in the Constitution the previous legislation falls down, isn't known yet. And the government has made this legislation without the benefit of the high court's reasons they were scared well, of doing it by that. Yeah, it, it goes um, it goes further than that. The way they handled the defence was amateurish in the extreme. The High Court made a decision and said you can't keep those guys in jail, guys meaning male and female. You can't keep them in jail. It, it, when Dutton got up and started ranting and raving about letting these people out of the community, all the government had to do was stand up and say the High Court has made a decision this government, like the people of Australia, has got to respect the decision of the High Court. Otherwise, we define we are simply carrying. We don't want to do this, you know, but we're simply carrying out the decision. But they didn't. They ran around saying, "Oh, we'll have policemen after one." All they had to do say to Dutton is, "Are you defying the High Court? Do you want this Parliament to over to to, yeah. to dis, disrespect the? Are you telling the citizens of Australia if ever the High Court puts down a decision?" Storm the barracks is, is that what you're saying to it? You know, yeah, no, you're 110 percent right. And I mean, so Labor put up their legislation in 12 hours, which the, the initial legislation was essentially really strict bail conditions. 
So ankle monitoring, curfews, etc., on these people. Then the coalition put up six amendments, all of which Labor accepted. One of them includes mandatory minimum sentencing. So any breach of these monitoring conditions, instant one-year minimum jail, no questions asked. That's horrible. That's a breach of human rights, and that is against the Labor Party's national platform yeah, they took to yeah. the last election. So they will say tooth and nail, we will not drop these tax cuts for the wealthy because we promised before the election that we would keep them. Well, you promised before the election you wouldn't have mandatory minimum sentences in your term of, a, of government too. And yet they've reneged on that promise. And that's a disgraceful promise to renege on. Least of all because if you're going in the blood option, you can never outbid Peter Duck. So they took all six of the coalition's proposed changes and accepted them. And then coalition ministers were still getting up and saying, no, it's not strong enough. It's not good enough. It's too weak. Labor is weak even though the bill was passed by the coalition with the coalition's changes. You you can't how, take... How much, opposition, how much opposition was there? Did the Teals vote against it? I didn't look at the numbers. Did no, the I'm Greens sure vote against it? The, the Greens certainly did, um, and full credit to the Greens for doing so because they're the only ones here respecting the High Court's decision. Um, I'm not sure about the, the rest of the uh, offbench or the Senate, I must say. Yeah, well, I'm going to check up on that because I'd yes. be very disappointed if the Teals went ahead with this. So the issue is now we can only, the, the legislation's part, we can rant and rave and dog the politicians, which they deserve, but we've got to get some action. If, if, if someone goes to the High Court and, you know, and, and with, with asking the High Court to, to rescind this on some account, how would the High Court say, in your view, look, we can't take a new case until we publish the reason for the old case? It's got to say, can the High Court put a stay? Would the High Court say this legislation is held in abeyance until certain things happen and we can have a ruling? Not, the High Court not rule it out, but simply say it can't become law until certain things happen. I don't think they can do that, um, but I certainly think there would be an imperative for them to not rush their reasons out because it's very important they get them right, but get them out quite quickly because I suspect, um, to, to backtrack to something I said earlier, the reason that this indefinite detention of people by the minister was struck down was because judicial power, which is in Chapter 3 of the Constitution, includes the power to punish for crimes. And being put in jail forever was unsurprisingly finally found by the High Court to be a form of punishment. Um, yeah. So if these new super strict conditions, ankle monitors, curfews, um, one-year jail for breach, etc., are found to be punitive by a high court, that's what it would take for this new legislation to also be rolled. It has to be seen as punitive, which is an exclusive function of the judiciary and not a function of the executive. Or the well, James, I'll be grateful if you can fossick around and find out who is, who is likely to appeal to the high court and can we after an injunction or something next week, uh, uh, it, 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 can, it, can an individual go to the High Court for what they've got enough money to pay the bill? Or do we have to have a refugee organisation go to the High Court? Best to get an individual who goes there and, you know, and is it un, if an individual goes to the High Court, is it unlawful for you and me to, to give him 100 bucks each to help him? So uh, the, the cases, the... Um... So the decision that prompted all this was an individual. 
a fellow who went by because they put a pseudonym on these people because they faced political persecution. His pseudonym was like NZYQ. He was a Rohingya man who couldn't be deported back to Burma because Burma, uh, Myanmar, sorry, is, you know, torturing and killing Rohingyas because they're Muslims. Um, yeah. And they couldn't deport him back there. And he'd been in prison here for like 20 years at the minister's hand. Um, and he was the one who went to the high court. They normally go either with the backing of pro bono law centres or refugee rights groups. So you have to have the individual. But for them to get all the way up there, they generally need the backing of yeah refugee support centres, pro bono legal centres, legal aid, barristers who take on the case pro bono, etc. Um, well, could we do it then? If if one of these blokes out there now, he gets arrested because he broke the curfew or something and they whack him in jail for a year, can we go to the High Court now for that jail sentence to be held in abeyance until they can hear the case? Um, oh, I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, yeah no, I'm, well, I'm not sure. Well, it gives a reason to go. So. One of these people mm. has been put in jail for what is a rotten piece of legislation. Can we go to the High Court and, and, and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, this, this is rotten legislation, this guy's in court, can we have his sentence held in abeyance until the court can hear, hear a case? Um, you, you, a, a sentencing court, I, I think the sentencing court would probably have to do that in their sentencing. I'm not sure if, um, like, you can, you can definitely um, pre-sentence apply for pre-sentence bail in exceptional circumstances. One exceptional circumstance could be you're challenging the legislation under which you're about to be sentenced, for example, uh, in the High Court. So there are avenues to do that, um, albeit, again, it's um, this stuff goes with the Refugee Rights Centres and Refugee Legal Centres. Human Rights Law Centre, Kieran Pender, they do great work with refugees. And I think everyone out there listening should be really supporting their local community legal centres, refugee legal centres, human rights legal centres and so on, because they're the people who support refugees um, who are fleeing persecution and then come here and face further persecution. From, well, James, uh, within my powers, within my powers of persuasion, which aren't great, I'm going to try and get identified with the protest movement. I think you know this. This this has um, you know this has got to stop. And I think all that's happening in Australia now is we're tearing the nation apart. You look at this year; we, we tore the nation apart uh, over voice. Absolutely, no doubt about it. We've been tearing the nation apart over the Palestinians versus versus the Jews. Now we're tearing the nation apart over these guys being sent out illegally. It'd be people, you know, feeling rotten about that. We're tearing the nation apart over the fact that only a wealthy person can buy a house in this nation now. So all these things are coming to tear the nation apart, and that's not a good thing, is it? No, and and stuff like this is where it requires the government to be brave. It requires the government to make policies that help people buy a house, you know, help people fleeing conflict in Gaza, help people who are refugees who have been like th these. These are refugees who've been in prison for like up to 20 years and they now have the opposition leader on TV punching down at them um, and sticking the boot into them and telling the community, you should fear these people. You should treat these people with contempt. These people are going to get you. The other thing Peter Dutton did this week, which was an absolute disgrace, 
just try to tie in this High Court decision to the Israel-Gaza conflict and basically strongly imply without any basis, without any basis, that one of these people freed because of the High Court decision. He didn't say with any anyone in particular, but he just has a feeling that one of them is going to commit a hate crime against Jews or a terror attack against Jews in Australia. Um, Peter Dutton, and indeed the government for indulging him, and the government should not escape um, escape here. Both of them are making the country a less safe place right now because they're indulging Peter yeah. Dutton's fantasies of, you know, jackboots and war and conflict. Um, and it's it's sickening. It's cowardly. So now let's move on. Put it this way, James. Uh, uh, when when you publicise this uh, uh, podcast about, will you let them know that you've never seen me so angry? And the bloke who is buying me for the title of being angry is you, and that we intend our podcast intends not to let this issue Correct. die. You know, we we'll keep this going. Now, a couple of before we run out of time, we've got to get to good and bad guys in a minute. The federal government uh, put out uh, a white paper about all the infrastructure projects that are going to either be curtailed or, or dropped, or because there's a blowout in the infrastructure budget. And there is a blowout in the infrastructure budget. Uh, a, a momentous example of it is the Snowy Mountains thing uh, that Malcolm Turnbull you know, put in, in, in the powerhouse, which is blown out by five times the initial uh, weight, the inland rail project, similar, and, and all sorts of others. And so they're saying we're going to have to stop projects. Everyone who's involved in infrastructure, and I have been for 25 years, promoting uh, the Melbourne to Darwin Inland Railway, which is different to the current fiasco government railway of Inland Rail. I found out in that time that in the infrastructure industry, the costs have blown out enormously because governments, when they start a project, employ consultants for every aspect of the project and, and, and pay mountainous fees so they do the planning so that if something goes wrong, the consultant can be blamed and fired and the government is free. And so money is wasted by the billions of dollars appointing consultants to protect the hide of governments. And then you get governments who appoint public servants to run these projects, people with their only experience is that they've been a good member of the Liberals, the Nationals or Labor. They've got to be paid back somewhere, so we'll give them a job on the show. They then appoint all their other mates they then stuff up the project, and that costs you know more money. And then finally, you have contractors putting in extortionate prices to build the stuff. They say, "Oh, we got to take into account future inflation. We got to take into account skill shortages. We got to take into account the fact that supplies might be there. So we got to protect ourselves. So we'll, we'll load this whole thing by about twenty percent, and and they all do it. So the government's got to accept one of them, and so." At least a third of the cost of an infrastructure project in Australia is simply spent in sheer fraud, sheer fraud. And, and I think we've got to stop that. Yep. So A, calling in the consultants, B, jobs for the boys, and C, corruption and sort of bid, bid rigging in the tender process. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's just bad. It's, it's like you say, it's such a waste of public money. And you just think, what all the good you could do with all the money that is instead pissed up the wall on 
consultants, corruption, and bed rigging. Exactly. Um, it's, uh, exactly. We could have invested in schools and hospitals and, you know, and all sorts of things. Well, James, let's get on to good and, uh, good and bad guys now. Now, 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 now my, my, my good guys of the week are the people trying to get food and medical supplies and water and what have you into Palestine. A lot of the people working either for the United Nations or for charitable groups like Oxfam and all these ones trying to get stuff in are now being killed uh, or, or wounded or, or, or deported or, or whatever. And I just want to say the good guys of the week are those people who are trying to get some sense of humanity into that war in Gaza and they're doing so at great human cost. Yeah, no, they are they are true heroes, and I, no no protests from me there. They are doing incredible things, and um, uh, many journalists who are trying to expose war crimes, many aid workers, and many um, human rights people, and many doctors are being killed by Israel's bombing campaigns, um, and it's a disgrace. It's, and we, yeah. we stand with them. Yeah, well, they're my good guys of the week. Who are your good guys, man? Um, my good guy of the week is um, President Xi. Um, he's met with Albo and Biden in recent days, and it's just great to see dialogue between um, China and Western countries. Um, you know, we on this show have advocated for ages for dialogue and talking to each other, noting that there are fundamental differences in, you know, each country's worldview and what they do domestically and whatnot. Um, it's nevertheless still incredibly important that we're talking, we're trading, we're friendly, um, and we're keeping tensions low. And so that's what's been happening in the past couple of weeks. And it's just good to see uh, domestically it's going to result in, Albo says, those trade barriers for wine and barley and that coming down in the US. Uh, looks like America and China can be working together on green energy and decarbonizing because they're two big polluters and two countries that can both green up really fast. So again, as staying friendly and simpatico and diplomatico with China, two thumbs up uh, from James. So, and look, I give it, Albo has done a good job on his three visits to the United States. I've got a low opinion of the United States, but that's another matter. Uh, but his, his visit to, to China as well and to the Pacific Islands and now to uh, San Francisco, I think he's done a good job, even though I'm as mad as hell of his government over the issues we've discussed today. I think on the international scene, he has behaved with dignity and done a lot of good. And I think he was had a lot to do with Z and, and Biden. Uh, you know, he, he he was the mediator between both of them to get some, and he's got to be given credit, uh, you know, for uh, you know for having done that. And so I think so. The only bleep on the scene there was uh, Biden being silly enough to call Z a dictator, which was. But I've got to say that I saw Z smile. On, on TV three times this week. I haven't seen him smile for years. He always looks like a, an undertaker's clerk, doesn't he? But he smiles three times. Well, that's, that's good. I, I, I heard at one point um, Biden wished G's wife a happy birthday because it's her birthday this week. And, you know, we, we wish G's wife a happy birthday too. Uh, and then G said like, ah, oh, damn it, I, I forgot. I've been working so hard. You've made me look silly. Um, so, you know, <laughs> uh, love that, love that. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good show. Now, now coming to the bad guys of the week, the Sunak government in England, which is, you know, we've had a succession of terrible conservative governments, and the Sunak government, which is running around, you know, like a pack of lost sheep, 
drag David Cameron out of retirement. They put him in the House of Lords. He's now Lord Cameron. And I want the assurance from you that if they ever, as a loyal British subject, if you are ever invited to go to the House of Lords, James, I'm trusting that you're going to say no. Anyway, they put you know Cameron into the into the House of Lords, and then they made him the Foreign Minister, which means he's now in charge of their policies on Palestine and Israel and, and what else. And and I just thought if ever there was a job for the boys thing created, it was this. And here was this is the bloke they put in. They're trying to improve their image. Ready the next they brought back the bloke who caused the Brexit referendum to be held, who ran a lax campaign and caused it to be lost, all the pain of Brexit. They bring this guy back and they say, this is going to improve our public image. Well, I think you've got to be a dumb as all hell to believe that. Well, at, at least they got rid of Suella Braverman, their Home Secretary, who was oh, one of the cruelest individuals <laughs> in the world. So uh, <laughs> somehow this, somehow bringing David Cameron back from the dead, appointing him to the House of Lords and making him Foreign Secretary is like a net positive for the world, um, yeah. which is bizarre in the circumstances and just tells you how much of a weak and fallen empire uh, Great Britain is. Who was your bad guy of the week, man? Um, my bad guy of the week is anti-whistleblower legislation in Australia. Uh, we saw... David McBride, who uncovered war crimes yeah. in Afghanistan, plead guilty today after the Commonwealth um, recently opposed certain documents from making their way into court. Uh, the Commonwealth was successful in opposing those documents making their way into court. And because of that, he is not able to rely on a public interest defence. So he had no choice but to plead guilty to basically like espionage style charges, which were about him uncovering the war crimes in Afghanistan. Now, we're now left in a situation where the only person to currently have been prosecuted, to our knowledge, because we don't know what's happened in like secret military courts or whatever, but to our knowledge, the only person who has been prosecuted and jailed and soon to be jailed probably for war crimes in Afghanistan is not any of the men who committed them, but instead the man who uncovered them. And that's a disgrace. That's that's a disgrace. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, that, that's a. Uh... Sad, a sad, you know, indictment. And you know, let's hope that there's better, better things ahead. And uh, I'm waiting to see whether the court may now show some sort of lenience, given, you know, given the facts that this has happened. Although, you know, we, well, one, we've got to respect what the courts do, but, but, uh, but there we go. Uh, and and uh, I suppose it's also impinged some way on the WikiLeaks guy too. He's a, uh, not the same case, but a similar case. Well, Dan. Yeah, we, we we've had a good discussion and uh, and and we'll be back next week uh, uh, with more. Hopefully, things will unfold during the week about this appalling legislation that's uh, yeah. gone through. And if it does, we can take it up again next week. But it'd be good to chat again today and look forward to the next one. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got angry today, and thanks everyone for uh, listening through our <laughs> extended thirty-minute rant. <laughs> but I think maybe maybe some cups of tea and a, a sit down and. Yeah, uh, <laughs> calm again. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. Good on you, James. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah. Well.